Hello, and welcome to the Sapona Road Church Podcast. Today is a great day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and we are excited that you've taken time to join with us as we hear from God's Word. We exist as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message encourages and blesses you and helps you to grow and mature in your walk and relationship with Him. The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message. James 4, verse 8, says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Father, we just thank you for your word. We just ask your blessing upon this message, Lord, and we just thank you for hearts being touched today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I want to talk for just a little while today uh, on the importance of intimacy. And uh, actually... um, Sometimes when I get ideas for messages, it comes from different thoughts or stories that pop in my head. And uh, uh, sometimes it's from when I'm reading, and sometimes I get the idea and I, I, go, I go find the scripture uh, after the idea is played around in my mind for a little bit. And so this is how this happened. So I, I was wanting to talk about it, the intimacy, having intimacy with the Lord, and so I, I went to this scripture about drawing near to God. And uh, the more I put it together and... Uh, read over it and thought about it, uh, more, the more that actually the second part of this verse began to speak to me about cleansing your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, and about the importance of how we are to make our, prepare ourselves to be intimate with the Lord. And it's not a whole thing uh, like Heather and I talked about a month or so ago maybe, but it's not about is this a sin or not a sin, it's about how does this affect my relationship. Uh, it's not about, the, oh, this is wrong. That It doesn't have to be anything that's bad. But there, there's, a, 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 there's a sense of responsibility upon us to make ourselves ready to spend time in the presence of the Lord, to be intimate with the Lord. We need to prepare ourselves. We need to, to those things that aren't necessary, that they, we don't have to be a part of, we need to cleanse our hands of those things. And we need to renew our minds. It says purify your hearts. That's renewing our minds and that's, that's uh, becoming kingdom-minded and seek, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added to you. But we usually get caught up in going after the other things and we forget the simplicity uh, of the gospel. And it's the same thing when it comes to drawing near to God. It, it's, there's, I don't like religion and I don't like legalism. All those things I, I'm completely uh, against. But we get this mindset where so many preachers have gone so far against those things that now they're, they're off and left field in the other direction about it because they're trying so hard not to be religious that they forget that we serve a holy God. And that there's, there's preparations to be made when it comes to wanting to be intimate with the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the Holy One. And so it's important to know that there's a difference in being uh, intimate with someone and just being hosted by someone. Um, so we have a lot of people that they, they, they want to be in the house, but they don't want to be part of the family. 
and they want, they want when things go bad, they want to be able to call on the host of the house to bail them out, but they don't want to be part of the family. They want to make sure that when this life is over that he's going to be their ticket to heaven and not go to hell, but they don't want to have relationship. And it's some of the very ones that are first ones to tell you that, hey, this is not about rules, it's about relationship. Okay, well, why aren't you going after a relationship? Why aren't you making the changes that you need to make in your life to have that relationship that you're telling me that it's, that it's all about? And uh, a few years ago, my mom and dad hosted some uh, exchange students. And uh, their, first, their first experience went really good. Well, all their experiences went well. Mine did not. Theirs went really good. Now, the girls, that they, they, had three, there was a dip, they had girls. I got a guy. But, so the girls, there was different levels of intimacy, though, with those girls as far as how they connected with the family. Uh, the first one just blended right in with the family right off the bat. And uh, she was from Serbia. And then they had one from Germany, and they had one from Brazil. And they, they got along pretty good, too. But Stephen comes to me his junior year in high school, and he says... Uh, Hey, Dad, there's a guy on the basketball team, and he's not happy with the house that they placed him in. Do you think we could help him out and let him stay here? And I said, I don't know. I have to talk to your mom. So I talked to Heather, and Heather says, well, you're the one who will have to clean up after him, so it's up to you. So I told Stephen, I said, you're the one who's going to have to share a room with him, so it's up to you. And Stephen said, he's really kind of depressed, Dad. I think we need to help him out. So he brings home this six foot nine, 240-pound Serbian kid. 19 years old, and uh, he, he, was a, he was a good kid. Now, he, he had some issues, and he was dealing with some depression, I'm pretty sure, but um, I only gave him two rules because I had seen this before where uh, some of these people want to act like they're the kid's parents, and you got to realize they come from a totally different culture. Different, everything's different. So I didn't want to be that guy, so I only gave him two rules. I said, the two rules are don't ever lie to me and no profanity or pornography in this house. I said, I don't know what's accepted where you're at. I'm not going to be looking over your shoulder every time you're anywhere, but as far as when you're on this property, that's it. And so I thought it would go pretty good until I found out he was a slob and that he didn't like to take showers. He didn't like to brush his teeth, uh, and uh, he didn't know how to use a toilet properly. And, uh, well, he didn't know how to use toilet paper properly. So, here I am with this situation, and, and he eats everything that's not healthy. So, first couple nights, I go up there, I, I do all the laundry, so I've cleaned all this kid's clothes. I've sat him up there on, a, on, the, on his seat. He had, we had a little desk chair that he plays his video games at. And he would come in from basketball practice and sit on top of the clothes. Now, you can imagine a six-foot-nine, 240-pound hairy man, even though he's 19, as sweaty as he would be after basketball practice, he just sits on the clothes. So I had to have my first talk with him. Hey, man, you're gross. And I said, those are clean clothes. I said, do me a favor, bend down there and smell that top shirt and tell me if it still smells clean to you after your sweaty rear end's been sitting on it all night playing video games. And so he would just kind of put his head down. He would come in, he wouldn't talk to us. He'd just wave. And he'd go upstairs. I go a couple days later. Now, you imagine as the a kid this big, there's a trash can in the room. He can pretty much reach it from anywhere in the room, as big as he was. 
But no, I had bought groceries, so brand new, he had emptied two potato chip bags in one night. They're on the ground. Uh, brand new box of Chips, uh, um, Chips Ahoy chocolate chip cookies, empty, on the ground. Three Gatorade bottles laying underneath the, like every little, how the desk chairs do when it's on wheels. There's like a Gatorade bottle, if he's making a puzzle or what. They're just there around the chair. Little Debbie wrappers, Debbie cake wrappers. And I just can't, I, it was just, I couldn't believe it. The trash can's right there. But had to have a talk about that. And he just kept making decision after decision that would not let him be part of the family. He was in the house. So everybody knew he was in the house, but he wasn't part of the family. Well, it's bothering me, and I'm complaining mostly to Heather. And then Stephen comes to me, and he says, Dad, I can't take this kid. He's been, he's been there for a few weeks. Now, now, you need to understand, he came from a really good situation. This wasn't some kid who, who came over here because, uh, you know, he was living in poverty. When he got to the house, he was going to show me his paperwork, that something he had to show me. I can't remember what it's for. And every time he pulled something out of his bag, $100 bills fell out. Hey, this kid had money. And uh, so he... He's in my bathroom. Well, we would tell him, go take a shower. Ten minutes later, go take a shower. Ten minutes later, get in the shower. He would come down in his clothes from basketball practice. He'd go in there. Sometimes you'd hear the water turn on. Sometimes you wouldn't. But 15 minutes later, he'd walk out wearing the exact same clothes. So I had to have a talk with him about deodorant, about hygiene, about, hey, you stink. All these talks. And then he started spending all this time in the bathroom um, on the toilet. And he wouldn't, I would go in there, I'd start banging on the door. Hey, what are you doing? Nothing. Like, what's going on in there? Nothing. I said, open the door. Here's this, this was a half bath, so a small bathroom. This big giant of a man is in there with a toilet brush trying to unclog a toilet. I was like, you can't unclog a toilet with a brush. What are you doing? You need a plunger. He's like, I thought I could get it. I said, well, let me show you something. See that little lever right there? You can mash it as many times as you want. Quit filling this toilet up with toilet paper. You're, you're overflowing the toilets. You're going to rot my floor out. And it just kept on. So he said, okay. A couple days later, I'm cleaning the house. And I'm in, I don't know why I'm in this cleaning mode, but... I'm going to sweep and mop everything. And so I go in the bathroom and I grab the trash can beside the toilet. I throw it up in the air, going to catch it and you know, sit it on the toilet so I can sweep everything. And when, it gets, when I catch it in my hand, it's covered in toilet water. And I wanted to take this hand and strangle that six foot nine guy. <laughs> he had overflowed my toilet again and he tried to cover it up, but he forgot to clean under the under the trash can. He, he just, he didn't know how to use toilet paper. He didn't know how to flush it. He didn't know how to use it. He, he, I had issues with him even uh, getting himself clean with that. I had to do his laundry, so I had to talk to him about some of his underwear. And he's like, I said, what's your problem? And he tells me this. He said, it's just too hard to get clean. I said, I said and you ran around two hours in basketball practice with that going on in your backside. That's but, that, but that's what a lot of people are like spiritually. They want to be in the house, but they don't want to be part of the family. 
They don't want to make the changes in their life that will help them to interact with others. Instead, they just want to talk about, and he's told everybody how mean I was to him, how he mistreated him. And he would, he would, Stephen would wake him up, he would go back to sleep. He'd wake him up again, he'd go back to sleep. He'd wake him up again, he'd go back to sleep. And so I told, Steve, uh, I told Stephen, uh, did I tell you about Stephen's dream yet? Stephen comes to me, he says, Dad, I can't take any more. I've had two dreams where I murdered him. <laughs> and he said, and they weren't bad dreams, Dad. I enjoyed them. <laughs> so... I told Stephen, I said, listen, tomorrow morning you wake him up one time. If he goes back to sleep, it's on him. And so Stephen does, of course, he goes right back to sleep. About 9.30, I heard that big rascal coming down the stairs. And I just said, good morning, sunshine. And he's like, I'm going to call an Uber. I said, no, you don't have to call an Uber. I'll take you to school. So I take him to school and I lectured him the whole way to school. I said, you're here to play basketball and all you eat is junk food. All you do is complain about the coach. All you do is complain about the school. All you do is stay up all night and play video games. All you do, I was like, how are you gonna succeed doing this? You say this is what you want. You wanna play ball, but you've done nothing to prepare to play ball. I said, uh, why don't you, I said, you come in every day and it's, <sighs> and then he complained when he catches breath. <laughs> and so I said, why don't you do yourself a favor and do one thing today that'll make a positive impact on your life instead of making yourself miserable. And he said, okay, and he got out of the car and left and didn't do anything I told him. So he was supposed to be with us six months. It lasted two, and then he moved to New York. But the thing about it is is that people are the, are the same way. They, they, they wanna be in the house, they don't wanna be part of the family, and, and they're complaining they don't understand why this stuff doesn't work for me and why I'm having this issue and that issue. And probably if, if we could stop and listen to the Lord long enough, he would just say, I've given you this whole book. How about do one thing today that's going to make a positive impact on your life instead of just complaining and complaining and continuing to walk around in the filth that you're walking in. He wasn't a bad kid. He didn't give me any problems as far as you know, lying and running out or, you know, running off doing stuff he shouldn't do, but he just refused to clean up the stuff that should have been, should have been obvious. And a lot of people are that same way with the Lord. They just get comfortable in their filth. They get comfortable in whatever it is. And like I said, it doesn't even have to be something bad because the best thing that we, any of us can do when it comes to doing something positive for our life is to draw near to God and let him draw near to us. But a lot of people will never do that because of the second part of that verse. They don't want to cleanse their hands and they don't want to purify their hearts. They want to do everything their way. And see, our goal should be to love God and to love people. Even when you have two dreams about murdering them, you still got to love them. <laughs> and see, that'll be a normal byproduct if we are being intimate with God. But most people aren't. And so we need to be drawing close to Him but unfortunately, when you look around at Christians today, you don't see many drawing close to him like there should be because it should be all of us. That should be every child of God's desire. But when I look around, I see a lot of Christians out there. Maybe you see them too. And it seems to be that they're trying to see just how close they can draw to the world and still make it to heaven instead of seeing how close they can draw to God. 
And we have too many people that they want to accept Christ and then have nothing to do with Him. Or at least as little as possible, as little as they seem necessary to make it to heaven. That, I thought it was about relationship. That's what they'll say if you say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Oh, it's not about that. It's about relationship. But there's no desire for it. And they don't realize that when you're not spending time being intimate with the Lord, there are going to be consequences for that. There are going to be things that you go through and things that you, you face. And so I found this video uh, that, I'm, that I'm going to have him show you. Hold on one second, Nate. And I, now on these videos, I watched so many of these, I got them confused on what's what. So I'm just going to kind of blend all the facts together uh, on it. But if you go ahead and show it, Nathan. Okay, so... Out of the videos I was watching, I can't remember which one that one was, but I believe he's the one that was 88 pounds of fleece. And I think the world record is 93 or something like that. And so what happens is these sheep, they somehow get away from the flock. They either run off on their own or somehow they get lost. And uh, it's estimated that he was all alone on a mountain for five to six years away from the shepherd. And so when this happens and they get away from the shepherd uh, and they actually are rescued, if, if no one finds him, he's going to die. Because what happens, the first thing is it covers their eyes. They can't see where they're going. And then as the fleece gets heavier and heavier, they can't carry the load and they end up just having to sit down wherever they're at. And basically that's the end if no one finds them. I can't remember if he's the one they found that couldn't move or not. There was one that they had found that could barely walk and one they found that couldn't move at all. I think, that might, I think it was him. Um, and uh, so when they, when they shear the sheep, they said that wool has gotten so thick and so heavy that in that wool they find sticks, uh, rocks, thorns, feces, and urine all throughout that. And, uh, uh, and all the, the sheep can do is just lay there. And whatever's going to happen um, is, is going to happen. See, people don't think that it's important to draw close to God. But this is the normal chain of events that happens when you don't spend time with the shepherd. Spiritually. This is what happens to the sheep physically, but this is what happens to us spiritually. When you never, you, you, oh, I've accepted. It's, this doesn't have anything to do with whether you've accepted Christ or not. Are you drawing close to God? Are you spending time with them? Because even if you have accepted Christ, if you don't ever spend any time with the shepherd, you're going to pick this stuff up in life. This sheep had done nothing wrong. It didn't do anything bad for this to happen to him except stay away from the shepherd. That's the only thing that he's guilty of. And he had picked up all of these things. They were ultimately going to cost him everything, even his life, but it's just what happens to any sheep that doesn't stay around the shepherd. And um, it could be the best sheep in the flock, or it could be the worst sheep in the flock. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And we have a lot of, it, uh, of people that are in this shape right now. They don't understand why they're in the circumstances they're in, but they haven't been with the shepherd. He's the good shepherd, but are we spending time in his presence? And see, some people will think, well... What I'm talking about is not a real, really big deal. Oh, that's just legalism, and that's just... No, it, it doesn't have anything to do with rules or legalism. I couldn't be... There couldn't be anyone more against that than me. But at the same time, people have to understand that there is a life to live. See, the, the ones that, that don't think this is a big deal, they're the very ones that spend all of their time trying to figure out what they can do in the world and still be a Christian. 
instead of trying to go after everything that's available to them in the Spirit as a Christian. If you go after everything that's available to you in the Spirit as a Christian, people call you a fanatic. If you see how close you can live to the world and still be a Christian, they'll say, man, that guy's cool, isn't he? Yeah, I'd rather not be cool. I hope you would, would too. But see, it, when it comes to that, we have to still remember the part of cleansing your hands and purifying your hearts is part of the deal. It's not that it's legalism. It's not that it's rules. It's part of the deal. It's how you draw close to God. You make yourself ready. You prepare. You prepared to be here today. Have you, have you ever been like you're running late? You planned on maybe getting ready to go somewhere and something happens. Uh, maybe you're like me and you get to talking too long somewhere. And you get home and you, you're in a hurry. And so have you ever done like the smell test? You're like, <laughs> smell yourself. And you're trying to decide... Am I okay to go like this and be around people? Or do I need to change my shirt? Or do I need to change my shirt and put on some deodorant? Or do I just need to forget it and I'm going to be late and jump in the shower because I smell so bad? We've all done it. You prepare yourself to be in the presence of people. And it's the same way with the Lord. It's what this is. It's not trying to put bondage on someone to follow a bunch of rules. It's just what you do when, you want, when you're making an effort to be in someone's presence, you prepare yourself for that. Now, um, this is a little plain, I guess, but the smell test that I give myself to be in the same room with my wife is a lot different than the smell test I give myself to be intimate with her. It changes. Usually the, t the smell test isn't even necessary. Even if I haven't done anything to be smelly, I'm going to take a shower. I want to be as fresh as I can, as clean as I can for my wife. And if, uh, I'm sure your spouse would appreciate you doing that too. And that's what this is. It's not legalism. It's just a simple common sense thing that you do when you want to be in somebody's presence and you want to be, uh, you want to be close to someone. Could you just imagine... I'm, Walking in, I've been cutting grass all day, so I've got grass all in my hair, and I've got muddy sweat lines down my face. And you know how men do, we get that big belly stain, uh, sweat stain on our belly. I doubt if I walked in, Heather would look up and say, man, I bet he wants to cuddle. <laughs> I think he would like to snuggle right now. No. <laughs> but see, that's how some people approach God. And I know that the Holy Spirit's who cleans us up and makes us... Uh, I, I get all that. That's not really what I'm talking about. There's a lot of people, though, that there's small things that they've been dealing with for 20, 30 years, and they just refuse to make themselves ready, and they don't understand why they don't have that intimate relationship. There's nothing about me walking in sweaty and stinking that would make her think that. Not at all. But yet that's how we come to the Lord. We don't ever... Take the time to be intentional. See, we should live our lives in a way, not that we can follow all the rules and that everybody would say, oh, that person right there, they're so holy. But we should live our lives in a way that demonstrates our desire to be intimate with God. That's the type of holy lifestyle we should live, that we actually want to spend time with the one that we claim we love and that we claim means everything to us. I don't know if you've noticed in the church now, but... There are groups all over that they'll talk a lot about the Spirit. There was a time when you didn't really hear a lot of groups talk about the Spirit much other than Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches, full gospel, things like that. 
Now it's, it's everywhere. And I, I think it's, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but there are a lot of these groups that seem to have, forgot, have forgotten that his first name is holy. It's not just spirit, it's Holy Spirit. We need to remember that it's Holy Spirit. There is a life to live as a Christian. And it shouldn't be because it's mandatory or because it's in somebody's doctrine or statements of faith. It should be because it's our desire to live that type of life before God so that we can have communion and fellowship with Him uh, at the freest level possible. Romans 14 verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, I've spoken on this scripture before and talked about the importance of joy and about joy being one-third of the kingdom according to this verse. And Because there's just so many grumpy Christians out there. They're always in a bad mood and their life's always so bad for them. And we need to be people of joy. We need to have a joyful heart. We should be the happiest people around. But the problem is, is there's a lot of people that that's all they want is joy when it comes to the relationship. They don't want any responsibility. They don't want any seriousness to it at all. They don't want any reverence. They don't want, all they want is joy when it comes to the Lord. And joy is important. Joy is one third of the kingdom, but you can't bypass righteousness and peace just for joy. That's out of order. That's, uh, that's just never gonna, that's never gonna end well. There's a, it works together. We need the righteousness of God in our lives. We need to have that desire to make ourselves ready and cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. We need the peace of God in our lives because we're living in such a way that we're not having to deal with all the chaos that we did before we got saved. Yes, we have troubles, we have trials, but we also have the Comforter with us now. We need to be after righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so uh, a couple months ago, it may be three now, but... Uh, the Asbury revival that was taking place, and then I know it was at Lee after that. I'm not sure about Lee, but at Asbury, I didn't read a lot of the stuff about it. I read a little bit, watched some of the videos, but uh, there's a, a minister that I follow that he went there. And um, he preaches in conferences all over the world. Uh, his church is in, uh, he's got a church in California. Um, and uh, he was there, and he said this revival was different than the other revivals he had been to. He said usually when he travels to these revivals around the world and these big outpourings taking place, that it's like as soon as you get on the property, you can feel the excitement in the air. And he said there's all kind of people, you know, shouting and different manifestations happening in the services. And he said it was not like that at all. He said when he got to, to Asbury that you could feel peace in the air. And so he said that... Uh, he said, well, this is different. And he said he was praying about it and thinking about it. And he began to realize that, you know, at these revivals, they let people in, but it was pretty much geared for 25 and under. I think it was that way at both places. And he said that uh, if you think about it, the 25 and under, that generation, they're one of the most fearful generations. They're afraid of everything. They're nervous. They're scared. All those things going on. And so uh, when that peace filled the room, it enabled them to step out of their comfort zone and experience the joy of the Lord. Well, this revival from what I read, if it was correct, it started from one young man giving a testimony. And it was a testimony of repentance. And repentance is a process of making yourself ready to an extent. I'm, I don't know if he was a believer or not a believer. Maybe one of y'all do. If it, I don't know if it was a repentance about just some things in his life or if he was giving his life to Christ 
and was talking about repentance. But the repentance is what puts us in that position of the righteousness of God. So here we have the righteousness through this guy's testimony. Peace comes over a whole body of young people that have gathered together for a chapel service. And before you know it, joy breaks out and the revival's being heard about all over the world. And people are coming from all over and they have to do all kind of things for it. See, it's supposed to work together. And we need to be intimate with God and we need to, need to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we can experience the kingdom. But we have to remember it's more than joy is important, but it's more than joy. There's a life to live when it comes to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That last verse, or two verses again, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I don't know if you know this or not, but you can talk a good game without being intimate with the Lord. And... You can be clever, you can be creative, you can be persuasive without being intimate with the Lord. But you will not operate in, true, in a true demonstration of the Spirit and power without spending time with God. It, it may be something fake or phony, but it's not going to be the real thing uh, without being intimate with Him. And see, this world needs a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of the power of God. Like never before. Our churches need it. Our families need it. They need us to be, we need to be intimate with the Lord for ourselves, but they need us to be intimate with the Lord so that we can be a witness to them. There's a story of a World War II about abandoned kids. And they found these kids, they, they had nowhere to go, no one to turn to, and they're starving. And so they took them in, they cleaned them up, and they fed them. Uh, the problem was is that they couldn't get them to go to sleep. And so they tried everything, but the kids would not go to sleep because of fear. And the fear that they had is they, they, they realized that they were afraid that if they went to sleep, that when they woke up, they might be alone again with no food. And so they were trying to figure out how can we get these kids to go to sleep? What can we do to get them to understand that they're safe now? And I don't know who came up with the idea, but basically what they did is they gave every kid a piece of bread. And they let them take it to go to sleep with. And so every kid, once they got the bread in their hand, they were able to go to sleep. Because that fear of being empty-handed the, uh, handed the next morning without anything was gone. See, we have to start living our lives with, uh, in intimacy with the Lord so that when we do minister to others, we can actually give them the bread of life instead of just giving them good advice. We need to give them all the good advice that we can, but how much more do we need to give them the bread of life? There are a lot of people that we... you know we. We see them and they come to church or they come down to the altar or we, we talk to them somewhere and then we wonder why they don't come back. We wonder what, what things are going on. But did they get the bread of life? Did they get something that they could take with them or did they just get a bunch of good advice of how if they would live their lives the way we told them to, they would be so much better off? See, we have to start living our lives 
uh, operating in a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. Not because if we do, our church might grow. Not because maybe someone will hear about how spiritual and talented we are. Not because maybe we'll have influence uh, if people hear about it. And not because maybe we'll get better offerings and we can start more programs for the community. But because the world needs an encounter with God. The world needs the bread of life. The world needs to taste and see that He's good. If you think about it, um, I would probably be willing to, to say no one in here has done this. I haven't. I, to just go to a random cookbook or go on the internet and just pull a recipe down and it has 90% of the ingredients you've never tasted. You've never eaten this type of meat or this type of vegetable. You've never, all these things. So you know what I think? You have no clue what it's supposed to taste like when it's a finished product. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to cook this and try it. Most of us, anything new we've ever tried is because someone said, oh, you've got to taste this. If you like this, you'll love this. Oh, just order this when you're at a restaurant. Just, no, I think I'm going to stick with what I'll, no, just order this. Trust me. You're gonna, if you don't order it, I'm going to order it. Make you try it off my plate. And what do we do? We try it and we say, hey, that's not bad. Or we say, I'm never trusting you again to try anything you, you give me. It's the same way with the Lord. But there's a lot of that that doesn't happen because we're not intimate with Him the way that we should. We haven't even tasted and seen the way that we should of His goodness. How are we going to tell someone else? How are we going to convince someone else how good He is when we don't know for ourselves? And so we need to be in that position to have that same passion that that crazy friend does that will not let it go until we try whatever it is they say is the best food ever created. And we almost always give in and try it, don't we? And that's the way it should be with the Lord. We should, we should be able to tell people how good He is and let them taste and see for themselves. Put that video one more time, Nate. No sound this time. If you can, Monty, keep him muted so we can get to that last picture. If you want to watch the whole thing again, you can. But in this last picture of this sheep, so you got to think of all this weight that he's been carrying because he's just like us. He's carried this around for five years. And even though he's in bad shape, they're going to when they shear him down to nothing, I wonder what that felt like for the sheep. And so what the good shepherd does is they cover him with that blanket at the end. Because no matter what season it is, I'm sure once 88 pounds of fleece is shaved off you, it's a little drafty. You feel a little cold. You feel like something's missing. You, 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 uh, you feel vulnerable. Because even though he was out there all along, nobody could touch him because that fleece was like a wall around him. Predators couldn't even... It was too thick for anything to kill him. And that's what we do in the Spirit. We build up these walls of protection which end up being strongholds that keep us from being intimate with the Lord and keep us from spending time with the Father. And so they have to be torn down. But what happens a lot of times is when people come to church or they come to someone in the family that's a believer and they're, they're desperate and they need help or it's obvious that they need help, we, uh, we get to this place where we, we help shear them. And the people mean well. I'm not talking about the... We all know there's bad people in church that don't care anything about people and all they do is hurt more people than they help. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the ones that mean well. They're trying to help. They're trying to do the work of the kingdom. But they come in and we pray for them and we, we, we 
cast down, tear off, whatever you want to phrase it, we're helping them through deliverance or, or whatever this thing is uh, that they have a need of or that's bothering them. And the, this sheep just gets sheared real good. Maybe, it's, maybe they haven't been to church in 10 years. Can you imagine what they're carrying around? And a lot of times, as soon as the shearing process is done, and we see that this person's free, everybody gets all excited. Some, depending on the church you're at, maybe they start clapping, maybe they start crying, maybe they start shouting, whatever, and the person's sent on out. But yet they're thinking, you know what? I know this feels a little lighter. I don't feel that same weight I did, but for some reason I, I feel a little cold. I feel alone. I feel vulnerable. And many of them will go right back out and start building those same walls back, or they'll go right back off by themselves, and the process just keeps repeating. The good shepherd covers them with the Father's love. The good shepherd knows that even after this process, this sheep has to go through, there has to be a covering put upon them. And that's where the bread of life comes in. We give them the bread of life. We give them something tangible that they can take with them. And they see how good and how loving and how comforting the Father is. And so instead of running off all alone by themselves until they get to the place where they're about to die and drag themselves back in, or like this guy, I have to have four people drag them back in because they can't even drag themselves, they stay close to the shepherd. They begin to build that intimate relationship, and he keeps them in the right, right way, and they realize that I want to spend more time, and they begin to cleanse their hands, and they begin to purify their hearts, and everything begins to change. And see, that's the way it needs to be for each and every one of us. We don't need to just uh, keep doing our own thing until we get to the place that we have to be sheared down like this sheep and then go through it again. We need to be in that constant uh, state of repentance of where we're wanting to make ourselves ready to continue to spend time with the one that we love and the one that loves us so much so that we can be what we were created to be, part of the flock, not off on our own trying to do something crazy, where we, can't, where we can't be a benefit to the kingdom. We're supposed to seek the kingdom first. We're supposed to be after the things of God. It says seek the kingdom and His righteousness. I just read to you those three. That it says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He just says seek first the kingdom. What's the kingdom? Righteousness, peace, and joy. But He says seek the kingdom and His righteousness. Why does He say it? Because it's not, not because it's not part of the kingdom, because it's that important. Seek the kingdom. Make sure you seek His righteousness. And when you do, these other things are going to start falling into place. You're going to have the peace of God in your life. You're going to have the joy of God in your life. But it comes through relationship. You're right, it doesn't come through religion. And it doesn't come through rules. And it doesn't come through legalism. But it does come through seeking His kingdom. That righteousness, that peace, and that joy. And spending time with the shepherd, being intimate with Him. That time of intimacy with the Lord, it can be... Uh, a lot of different ways. One of, the, one of the ways is just what we felt this morning in worship. His presence just strong, bringing thoughts to our hearts of people. To, his heart becomes our heart, what to pray for, what to sing about, what to worship about. That's really what it's all supposed to be about. And so uh, I feel like we've already uh, had had that time in His presence this morning, but I just want to encourage you to go after the Lord like never before. Be intentional. Doesn't, doesn't matter if something's bad or not bad. How's it affecting your relationship? 
If it's affecting your intimacy with the Lord, you need to do something about it. You need to cleanse your hands of that. You need, if something in your thought life is not where it needs to be, you need to purify your, your heart. You need to renew your mind so that you can spend time with the Lord. Father, we just thank you for your presence, Lord. We thank you for the atmosphere in this place, God. Lord, as we draw near to you, knowing you will draw near to us. I pray for every person in here to understand the importance of intimacy. I pray that we would all do what we, what we should do, God, what our desire should be, that we live our life in a way that demonstrates our desire to be intimate with you, to spend time in your presence, to live a life led by the Spirit, to live a life empowered by the Spirit, God. Lord, so we don't have to worry about thinking about the right thing to say or the, or the right catchphrase that might get someone to attend our church, but that we can just share our heart and they'll taste and see that you're good, Lord. Lord, that they would experience the good shepherd that not only shears the sheep but covers him with his love and his presence. God, I pray right now, Lord, that if there's any heart that you're speaking to today, Lord, that they would just take a step and just come out and just just spend some time loving on you. And so I'm just going to open the altar up for anyone that wants to do that. There's no specific thing. It's just, it's just another one of those, just like making yourself ready. It's just an intentional step that, Lord, as I step out today, this is just this, me saying that I want that intimacy with you like never before. I want more of your presence. I want more of your promises, more of your word, God. So, Lord, we just spend some time this morning worshiping you. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.